I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because it is Reformation Sunday, and because it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year, we're going to take another break from our current sermon series on Galatians. And yet we're not. We're going to see this morning how this all ties in with our series on Galatians. And in fact, how it ties in with our other series that we're in this year. You may have noticed that we actually have two sermon series running concurrently in 2017. One of them is called The Truth of the Gospel, the book of Galatians. And the other is called Gospel Roots, where we're exploring our spiritual heritage as a church family for the last 125 years. Both of these series tie directly in with the Reformation. Have you seen that or or felt that this year? That's been on purpose. For example, our church family comes directly out of the Reformation. We've been learning this year about those Swedish Lutherans who wanted to read the Bible for themselves in Sweden and follow what the Bible said for themselves. Where stands it written, they asked. That's sola scriptura. And it's the priesthood of all believers. So when those old Swedes came to the United States, they formed free churches, free of state control, and free to come directly under the Word of God, and free to preach the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that Martin Luther had rediscovered. We are, at Lance Free Church, children of the Reformation. Our first and main gospel root on January 1st of this year was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's solus Christus in Christ alone. So consider this sermon today as part of the Gospel Roots series, but also considered as part of the Truth of the Gospel series as well. Which word is the same word in the title of both of those series? Okay, I'll say it again. There's the Gospel Roots series and there's the Truth of the Gospel series. Which which word is in both of them? Gospel, that's right. The good news. In Galatians, the Gospel was in danger. The Galatian churches were close to losing the Gospel. They were close to abandoning the Gospel and turning to another Gospel which was really no Gospel at all. Not good news, right? Well, guess what? That's exactly what had happened to the medieval church. The medieval church had by and large lost the Gospel. They had lost the Gospel in wrongly emphasizing good works, giving money, indulgences, as if those things led to getting salvation from the church itself. They had lost the Gospel in priests and popes and saints instead of Christ. They'd lost the Gospel because nobody knew it. The Bible was only translated into a dead language that nobody spoke, and just a few professional religious people could read. They didn't sing the Bible or have it preached to them in their own language. We call the medieval period the Dark Ages for a reason. It's not because there was less, like the sun wasn't working back then. It's because, by and large, the Gospel had gone dark. I say by and large because there's always exceptions. God always has a remnant. God has always been at work. 
But in many, many ways, the Gospel had gone dark. The Gospel had been just about lost. That's why Luther loved Galatians. Remember I said that Luther loved Galatians so much that he nicknamed it after his wife? He said, Galatians is my Katie. Right? He just loved Galatians because Luther could see how Galatians spoke directly into the problems of the situation of his day. How the medieval church had adopted a form of the Galatian heresy and was teaching people they were justified by their works and not by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I almost dressed up like Martin Luther this morning and got up here and nailed 95 theses to that door over there, but I couldn't find the right floppy hat. Just kidding. The point of the Reformation isn't Martin Luther, as used by God as he was. The point of the Reformation is that God used the Reformation to recover the Gospel. I'm not going to give you the whole history of the Reformation this morning. I'd like to. I'd love to give a long lecture on how it all came about because it's a wild and crazy story full of twists and turns. And some pretty amazing people. I just listed a few of them. And some real rapscallions, including sadly at times Luther himself. This whole month there have been a boatload of great resources posted online that unpack this history in really interesting and relevant ways. I have lectures, books, and articles I'd be glad to recommend to you if you want to get to know the story better. But I'm preaching the Bible today, not giving a history lecture. So I asked myself, what should I preach on from the Bible if I were marking the 500th anniversary of the Reformation? What's the point? I mean, why should we care about the Reformation today? And you know, there's a lot of good answers to that. I mean, we've already noted our own history as a church. We are not Lutherans, but we are heirs of the Reformation. We're Lutherans with a small L, if that's possible. We are Protestants here. And practically speaking, we have so much for which to thank the Reformers. Congregational singing, for example. What we just did, where we just together praised God like that. Not just that that the Reformers gave us songs like, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, but they recovered congregational singing by the congregation. Not just choirs singing to us and over us and at us, but the congregation itself singing to God. Remember we learned that back in February? Congregational singing was in many ways recovered by the Reformers. Biblical preaching. The Reformers emphasized teaching and preaching the Bible to the people in their heart language. The vernacular, we say. The common language. The Reformers believed in Bible translation. Luther translated the Bible into German, and Germans still read his translation today. Wycliffe and Tyndale translated the Bible into English. The fact that you have a Bible sitting in your lap right now or on your phone in your own language is in many ways a blessing that came from the Reformation. Pastors doing pastoral ministry. In many ways, that comes from the Reformation as well. I heard a whole lecture back in February at the EFCA Theology Conference on how pastoral ministry as we now know it is a byproduct of the Reformation. This has been Pastor Appreciation Month and I feel very appreciated. Thank you. And I appreciate that my very role as a pastor has been shaped by what happened at the Reformation. We could go on. The Reformation reshaped marriage. You know, Martin Luther was a monk 
who got married. That's a change, right? And it changed how people thought about the institution of marriage, about how good marriage was, and that marriage wasn't a second-class thing, second-class to being a celibate priest. The Reformation changed work. Luther's view of vocation, of how our work is a part of our worship, changed people's understanding of their daily labors. Remember that sermon series I preached a couple years ago on, on how our work is worship? This coming weekend, I'm going to be preaching that at the Deep and Wide Conference in Deep Creek, Maryland. Joel Michaels is going to preach here next Sunday. You're not going to want to miss that. But I'm going to be preaching on work. And my insights on work as worship will be shaped by the Reformers and how they recover the doctrine of vocation. There are lots of reasons to care about the Reformation. But the biggest one is the Gospel itself. That's what I can't kept coming back to again and again as I thought about preaching this message on this particular Sunday. Here's why we should care about the Reformation. Because the point of the Reformation is that God used it to recover the Gospel. And how important is the Gospel? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-11. through 11. It's not Galatians, but... It is Paul, and, it, and Paul is again, as he always is, talking about the Gospel. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the Word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Would you pray with me? Father, we don't want to glorify any men but the man Christ Jesus. All glory be to Him. We're thankful for the work of the Reformers and what they risked. Their courage in stepping forward and and rediscovering the gospel of grace. We pray, Father, that we would honor them, not by talking about them so much as by examining this glorious gospel in all of its fullness and priority. Help us, Lord, to see it. Help us to see how amazing this gospel is and to sing about it with all of our might and to orient our lives around it and to take our stand on it. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And Jesus Christ alone, to Him be the glory. Amen.
How important is the gospel? Of all of the messages that you will hear in your life, of all of the truths that you will be told, of all the stories that you will learn, of all the ideas that you will explore, how important is the gospel? Well, what did Paul say there in verse 3? He said he had received the gospel. He didn't come up with it himself. Remember that from Galatians 1? And he had passed it on to the Galatians, and here he had passed it on to the Corinthians, and he had passed it on to them as what? As of first importance. Number one. This message above all other messages. This truth above all other truths. This story above all other stories. This idea above all other ideas. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. The Gospel. We have a saying around here at Lands Free Church. The main thing, what? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the Gospel. Paul is going to teach in this chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. The resurrection. Because apparently there were some false ideas circulating about the resurrection that Paul needed to remedy. And it was important because the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our consequent resurrection as well someday is a vital part of the Gospel message that Paul preached. And so he reminds them. Verse 1. Now brothers, I remind you of the Gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. That sounds a lot like Martin Luther, doesn't it? When Martin Luther was brought before the Diet of Worms by the ecclesiastical authorities of the day who demanded that he recount his teachings to repent of this Gospel he was preaching, he gave what we call the Here I Stand He said, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. And Paul said to the Corinthians that they had also taken their stand on the Gospel. They had received it and then they climbed up and stood on it. And they didn't get back down. May that be true for us today. I've titled our message today, Here We Stand. Because we too have received this Gospel. And we have taken our stand upon it. I want to point out three main things about this Gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. First, we stand on a saving Gospel. We stand on a saving gospel. Look at verse 2. By this gospel, what's he say? You are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. By this gospel, you are saved. That's how important the gospel is. It's how God saves people. Remember when we memorized Romans 1.16? I am not ashamed of what? The Gospel. Because it's the power of God for what? The salvation of everyone who believes. This isn't just any good news. It's the good news that saves people from their sins. How's it do that? Look at verse 3. 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Notice that sola scriptura there? That Paul doesn't appeal to some other outside authority. He appeals to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures taught that the Gospel is the good news. That Jesus Christ had died for our sins, had been buried, and was raised from the dead. That's solus Christus, isn't it? That salvation comes through what Jesus did. We're used to this, right? But this has not been clear to so many. And so many don't, still don't know it. Not what anybody else did, but what Jesus did. Not some saint or some relic or some priest or Mary, but through Jesus alone. The Gospel is the good news of Jesus' death. Good news about a death? Why would we be glad that somebody died? Because of those three words in verse 3. For our sins. Jesus' death was not an ordinary death. It was a sacrificial death. Jesus died on the cross as our substitute. He died the death that we should die. He died for our sins. And since He died for them, friends, we don't have to. Isn't that good news? That's the best news in the world. Because believing in that news will get you saved. It's a saving Gospel. But you have to believe it. Look at verse 2 again. By this Gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the Word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Which of the solas is that? That's sola fide. By faith alone. Christians believe the Gospel. And they keep believing it. The proof of, for the Corinthians' faith was genuine was that they stuck with it. Paul doesn't have a category for believers who don't believe. Now don't think that this means that your salvation is only as strong as your ability to keep believing. If you're a true child of God, then He has committed His vast and powerful resources to keep you believing. Many of the Reformers taught that as well. But if you stop believing, if you no longer hold firmly to the Word preached to you, then you can have very little assurance that your faith was genuine in the first place. A faith that gives up on the Gospel is not a saving faith at all. It is in vain. That's what was at stake in Galatia, wasn't it? Remember, Paul was afraid that he had preached the Gospel there in vain because some Galatians were talking about abandoning it and adopting another Gospel which would really be no gospel at all. Salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what the Reformers recovered for us. And that's what we stand on. Here we stand on a saving gospel. And number two, we stand on a reliable gospel. And by that I mean it's historical and verifiable. It comes to us through witnesses. The first set of witnesses was the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul is appealing to the witness of the Old Testament which predicted the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. Like Isaiah 53. The second witnesses were the eyewitnesses. Verse 5. 
And I passed on to you that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Stop there for a second. Here's some eyewitnesses. The Corinthians heard that this Gospel was not just a hallucination or a lie. It was verifiable history. Eyewitnesses had seen His death. And more importantly, eyewitnesses had seen Jesus alive again. At one time, there was over 500 that saw Him. And many of those people were still alive to give personal eyewitness testimony when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians. If 500 people had the same facts straight in a court of law in our nation today, the evidence would be overwhelming. We stand on a factual, historical, verifiable, reliable gospel. The third witness was the abnormal witness of Paul. Verse 8, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. All these other resurrection appearances were before Jesus' ascension into heaven. But Jesus made a special trip to call Paul on the Damascus road. The word for abnormally born here is used of is normally used of miscarried fetuses, babies that were born prematurely. Here Paul is saying that he was spiritually born post-maturely. This was not the usual way of saving someone or calling them into apostleship. It was abnormal, especially in its timing. But he had seen the risen Christ, and Christ had appointed him to be an apostle. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 1 about himself? Paul was not just ambivalent about Jesus. Until he met him face to face, Paul thought that Jesus was a bad thing for Israel. He used to believe a different gospel. And he was willing to kill for it. But one day Paul got knocked off his donkey by the glory of Jesus Christ and was called to be an apostle by His grace. God's grace reaches down to the worst sinner. If He could save Paul, He can save you. Don't make the mistake of thinking that your sin is too big for Him to handle. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful cleansing agent in the universe. It can wash you clean as well. His grace is so powerful, it could turn a persecutor into an apostle. Imagine what He can do with you. And that's the last thing I want you to see about this Gospel. We stand on a gracious gospel. Sola gratia. Salvation is by the gracious gift of God alone. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It is not getting the punishment that we do deserve and getting the blessings that we certainly do not deserve. Grace is not logical. Grace is not fair. Grace is not earned. It's grace. It's a gift. It's free. That's what Martin Luther rediscovered about 500 years ago. That the Gospel is salvation by a free gift of God's grace. You and I can't earn our salvation. And we shouldn't even try. We have to receive it. And any gospel that's based upon any other principle than grace is no gospel at all. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians, wasn't it? 
What does Galatians 2.21 say? I know you know Galatians 2.20. What's the very next verse say? Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Your salvation is by grace or you are not saved. Remember what Dave Catanzaro preached to us back in February? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know what that is? That's sola gratia, sola fide, and soli deo gloria. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And who gets to boast? What's that say? So that none of us can boast. Only God can boast. God alone gets the glory for our salvation because He did all of the work. And His grace is effectual. That is to say, it accomplishes something. The grace of God doesn't just forgive us and justify us. It also enables us to live differently. It turned a killer into an apostle. Look at verse 10 again. But by the grace of God, this free gift, I am what I am, an apostle now. And His grace to me was not without effect. A double negative, meaning it was effectual. No, I worked harder than all of them. All of the rest of the apostles. But He's not bragging. Because it wasn't something He had earned. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The grace of God accomplishes something in the hearts and lives of all true Christians. It changes them. In February, Dave preached verse 10 of Ephesians 2. It flows right out of 8 and 9. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. That's what the Reformers taught us. The Reformers had a saying that is, faith al- al- it is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. That is, it is always accompanied by good works that come from that grace. Sola gratia. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. We stand on a gracious gospel passed down to us by the Reformers. I'm so thankful that they had the courage to rediscover it and stand on it even in the face of great opposition and persecution. What should we do about it today? I see four things in this passage that make obvious applications for us. Let me give them to you briefly. Number one, receive this gospel. Look back at verse one. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. The gospel doesn't do any good if it's just hanging back there. Something you've heard and you haven't responded to. The Corinthians didn't just listen to the gospel and then walk away from it. They took the gospel and they took it in. Have you done that for yourself? All this talk about the gospel is in vain. If you don't personally believe the Gospel yourself. If you don't take it in by faith. Have you done that? What a great day this would be for someone to get saved. 
hearing the gospel on Reformation Sunday 2017. Verse 3, here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. By this gospel you are saved. I invite you to trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life. Receive Christ. Receive this gospel. And number two, take your stand on this gospel. Take your stand on this gospel. Verse 1 says the Corinthians did it. We know the Reformers did it. We know that our forefathers at Lance Free Church did it. God is calling for us to do it too. We must take our stand and not back down from the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, which we receive from the Scriptures alone. And that will mean making some hard choices from time to time. Sometimes we'll have to fight. Sometimes we'll have to divide over this one. Because the gospel is just that important. Last week I was up at Miracle Mountain Ranch teaching a class on Galatians. I read and taught on every verse in all of Galatians in an hour and a half. That was crazy. It was like open the fire hydrant try to drink. You think I talk too much and too fast here. Well, they were in for it. One of the things that I told them was about the chapter one test that I use when I have to decide whether or not to do shared ministry with someone else who calls themselves a Christian. The chapter one test is I ask the question first if we have the same gospel or not. Remember the folks in Philippians chapter one? They were preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, from the wrong motivations. These guys didn't like Paul, and they were trying to get Paul's goat by preaching the gospel with selfish ambitions. That's crazy and dumb, right? That is crazy and dumb. The church down the street, hey, we're going to get you, we're going to preach the gospel. They're going to come and believe over here and not over there with you. And how did Paul respond to that? He said, this is in the Greek, no big whoop. This is what he said. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. That's Philippians chapter 1. But what does Paul say in Galatians chapter 1? He says, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Those are both chapter 1s. They're both Paul. I asked the students at Miracle Mountain Ranch, what's, what's the difference between the two chapters? The difference is the gospel. We have to take our stand on the gospel. There are lots of little things that we can let go. Lots of things that we can let slide and not come between us. There are lots of secondary things out there that are not worth fighting about. But the gospel is worth fighting for. And when called upon, we cannot back down. We must take our stand. And number three, hold firmly to this gospel. That's what Paul said in verse two, right? We can't let this gospel go. We've got to hold on to it and not lose it once again. You know, it could be lost again. Wouldn't be that hard. Another dark age. 
All the church has to do is to take their eyes off the ball. And Satan offers that temptation to every generation of the church to believe a different gospel and go back to the darkness. Believe the gospel of medicine. Believe the gospel of science. Believe the gospel of education. Believe the gospel of self-esteem. Believe the gospel of money. Believe the gospel of racial superiority. Believe the gospel of American nationalism. Believe the gospel of world religions. Believe the gospel of self-determined sexual expression. Believe the gospel of entertainment and comfort. Believe the gospel of church growth or, or health, wealth, and prosperity. Believe the gospel of salvation through the church. Salvation by good works. Salvation by our own efforts. Salvation by law-keeping. Satan offers those and many more in every generation. But we need to hold firmly to the gospel Paul preached and Luther preached and that we have believed. And lastly, number four, make this gospel of first importance. Make it first priority. Do you know the gospel? If somebody were to come up to you this week and say, Gospel this, gospel that. What is gospel? I thought that was a kind of country music. What is that? What is gospel? Could you answer them? Could you explain what the gospel is? When was the last time you told somebody the gospel? How important is the gospel? We have to get the gospel right. We have to make sure that we have it right. And then we have to put it in its rightful first place kids if mom or dad or someone asks you what the sermon was about today when you're having lunch you tell them the main thing right the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing and the gospel is the main thing and the reformers recovered the main thing you can say more than that in fact show off the latin phrases that you learned in church today but that's the main thing That's the main reason for us to care about the Reformation because we must care about the Gospel. Let me give you one more Latin phrase to take home with you today. Post tenebras lux. That was another catchphrase of the Reformation. Anybody know what it means? After darkness, light. The Gospel had gone dark. But 500 years ago, God in His perfect wisdom and power saw fit to shine a new light on the Gospel and from the Gospel to His people once again. Salvation is according to the Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. May the light of the Gospel continue to shine on us and from us into the world.